Welcome to the Zen for Everyday Life podcast, episode number one. All right, welcome everyone to the very first Zen for Everyday Life Puraimonia podcast episode. Uh, I am very excited to be beginning this podcast. Uh, whether you are listening to the first podcast right as it's began, or if you're going back through the list and starting from number one, uh, I welcome you to this podcast. I welcome you to this this little bit of time, this space that we have together to discuss things that I feel are very important, to discuss things that I feel can help, uh, that are always based on insights that I've received in my own life, and with lots of discussion, referencing various teachers and such that have inspired me uh, and that have taught me things as well. So this podcast, uh, again, if you're just starting this uh, from the start or if you're going back through number one, this podcast is all about helping you live a more mindful, more deeply spiritual life. Uh, Mindfulness is a big core principle of my blog, Boraimonia, and it will therein also be a core principle of the Zen for Everyday Life podcast. So... I'll talk a lot about mindfulness and a lot about spiritual practice, meditation practice, meditative practices of all kinds, and a lot about the various different qualities and things that are cultivated alongside that and anything that really hovers around uh, those various subjects. So we'll dig into a lot of various different things. Um, So I'm really excited to be talking to you via audio. Uh, For those of you that have followed the blog for some time now, you may have, have heard me mention before that I have a love for audiobooks, and uh, for one reason or another, I just didn't get into to podcasts, even though everybody I know listens to podcasts now. Uh, and a little while back, I started listening, and just like I did with audiobooks, uh, I fell in love with them. So um, for those that aren't familiar, it's if you're listening to this very first episode via the blog... Now, it's really just the, the audio version of a blog post. So, again, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Each episode uh, I'm, I'm putting my heart into and I'm making sure it's, it's authentic uh, to my practice uh, as, as well as to the various wisdom traditions of the world. So I hope that you get a lot from each, each and every episode. So here we go. This is the very first episode. I'm going to switch to the recording right now, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, so today is all about how to be yourself, how to express yourself honestly and authentically. And alongside that, uh, also be talking about the, the, the deeper level of expressing yourself honestly and authentically uh, in, in realizing your true nature, as it's often referred to as in, uh, in Zen, Zen practice. So... I'm currently in the, the process of writing a new book. Um, I'll be releasing it soon. The tentative date is January 1st. And I wanted to talk on a subject within the book that I feel is very important. 
Um, I strongly believe the entire book is very important and has the ability to to really create a great positive impact. Um, and so for that reason, I'm, I'm really very excited about uh, about the release of this next book. But this particular subject that I'm going to talk about today is closely tied with the very first series of blog posts that I did on Bodhaemonia about regret. So I thought it would be fitting. I thought it would be kind of kind of neat um, as the first Zen for Everyday Life podcast episode. Um, about two years ago, there was a story spreading around the internet about a hospice nurse who, for years, surveyed her dying patients to find out what their greatest regrets were. Now, there were five that she said showed up more than any others. So she took these five regrets, and she ended up writing a book about it, but it actually started off originally as a blog post. And I'm not going to get specifically into the regrets here, um, but I'll make sure to link to both the book and her original blog post in the show notes, just in case you guys want to want to check that out. Um, the original regret series that I wrote, which is a total of six posts, I actually took down because I'm in the process of updating them. So I'm going to update them. I'm going to put them all together, probably as just one really big, uh, extensive post. I'd much rather do that. Uh, but when I do that, I'm going to re-release it on the blog. And uh, whenever that does happen, I'll make sure to put a link on uh, on this on on the page on the blog that this podcast episode shows up here as well, just in case you're you're listening to this uh, at a later date. So. And so it was around the same time that that story was floating around that I started Bodaimonia, my blog, Bodaimonia.com. And I decided it would be cool to, to start off with a series of posts where I, examined, where I examined each individual regret in detail. So there was a lot of stories floating around online about, about, this, about this story. So they, they essentially reposted about it. Uh, and most of the time they just included the regrets and they talked for a quick second about it and there wasn't really any good information, but I didn't just want to talk about them. I wanted to really make it an exercise. I really wanted to make it, uh, an act of research on my end. And I wanted to delve into each and every one of those regrets and ask the question, what is the key or are the keys to living in a way that we don't end up with these regrets on our deathbed? So I wanted to find the essence of these regrets. What did they all come down to? Well, they essentially all came down to being yourself, to expressing yourself honestly, to being authentic. So that's what we're going to talk about. So the very first series I did on my blog, Bitimonia.com, was about those regrets. So this is actually the step forward from that. What I found, putting everything together these two years after that, really reflecting on everything uh, and everything that I've learned from my practice since then. So, and there's also, there's a deeper level to this as well that we're going to talk about, which in Zen practice is referred to usually as expressing your true nature or realizing your true nature. And we're going to get into that too. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how it's all connected. I, want, I don't want you to think that these are, are separate things that I'm talking about that just have similar topics. Uh, these are all closely tied to one another. So, But before we get into really what keeps us from expressing ourselves, uh, really keeps us from living honestly, to living the lives that, that we want to live, and how we actually work through 
these various uh, challenges, these these various factors, I want to really be very careful. I don't want to just throw out phrases and just say things without being very clear about what I mean. What does it mean to be yourself? What does it really mean to express yourself honestly, to be your authentic, true self? What does that really mean? Now, not only should we not get hung up on language, this is very important, but when we do use it, and language is very important, we have to use it in certain situations, we should closely analyze the words which we use, their intended meaning, and how we're using them in that specific moment. So that's what I want to do here before we get into things, because you know these, these phrases of be yourself, express yourself honestly, you know, authenticity, they have a sort of fogginess to them. Uh, I don't immediately know what somebody is referring to when they say that. They could be referring to uh, something very shallow, or they could be referring to something very deep and spiritual. So I want to make sure to be very, very clear about that. Uh, and also, uh, or before we move on to that, with regards to really being yourself, to expressing yourself honestly, uh, we typically think of being yourself as acting without outside influences, corrupting our own carrying out of our various thoughts, feelings, and opinions. So I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to say it over one more time, a little bit differently. We typically think of being ourselves, of expressing ourselves honestly, as acting without outside influences. Acting so that the things outside of us, other people, other various trends and opinions, don't affect us acting, us expressing our various thoughts, feelings, and opinions, the things that we uh, the things that we prefer or like or just rather do or just simply do just because it's us, um, without these outside influences affecting us, without these, these outside influences keeping us from doing these things. And when I talk about being ourselves, there's a couple different levels to this, and we'll talk about this as we go as we go through things. We could be talking about things from a surface level, which is for the most part not what I'm talking about. You know, the 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 color of your hair, the 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 clothes that you wear, uh, the things that you like to do recreationally. Not not the things that you have a passion for that you love to do, but just just sort of the things you like to do recreationally. Like you know, I, I like to watch movies every once in a while. Uh, versus, I don't know, versus reading comics or something like that. Uh, if you're passionate about it, it's different. You know, if you have a real love for what it is, it's a big part of your life that's different. But if it's just something you kind of prefer or just some sort of superficial thing like the color of your hair again or the type of clothes you wear, uh, that's not really what I'm talking about. Um, although a lot of times when people people get hung up on, on, on these things, when they talk about being themselves, when they talk about expressing themselves honestly, uh, they talk about they're usually referring to these these very outside these these very um, sort of superficial uh, things and it is it really doesn't have anything to do with you a lot of times these things just make us feel a little bit of, a little bit better about ourselves 
they're usually just sort of an ego bump. They make us either feel better about ourselves or they make us feel like we're a part of a, some sort of group. Uh, and that's also very important to a lot of us. We want to feel like we're a part of some specific group. Uh, it gives us a greater sense of self-worth. It gives us a sense of belonging. And there's not necessarily something wrong with that. But if you depend on that, uh, then that can become something that, that affects you affects you negatively. So, But for the most part, I'm talking about the deeper level of really expressing who you are. Deep down... What are the things what are the things that you've experienced in your life that you know to be true? And beyond that, what are the things that you strongly believe are true? So these are beliefs, and I don't want to put a focus on beliefs so much because there's a lot of things that people believe and uh, it's not so much they say that they believe them, but it's really just the thing the way that they want life, the way that they want the world to be. But they act in a way that's totally contrary to that because they want the world to be one way, uh, the way that, they, that, that corresponds to things that they say they believe, but they actually believe something totally different. So I don't know if you've seen somebody who they say they believe one thing, but their actions are totally contrary to what they say that they believe. Um, you see this a lot in religion. People will say that they're affiliated one, with one particular religion, uh, but they act in a way that's totally contrary to what somebody who really would be following that tradition, uh, that religion, uh, would be doing, would be, would be following. So you see that pretty often. Uh, so I don't want to put harp too much on beliefs, but if there's something that you've really experienced very deeply in your life, and you don't necessarily know to be true, there's certain things that we just can't know for sure, but you're, you're quite positive about, and it's, it's just something that you feel is, is just a big part of your life. Uh, it's had a big impact on you. This is really you. That's what I mean by expressing yourself. The things that you know to be true or the things that you that are just a big part of your life, it, it's really all tied to your, your experiences. What do you believe deep down is really you? Uh, are you a filmmaker? And do you really honestly believe that film can be a power for good? You see, that's you. Making films then, shooting films or maybe acting in films, depending on what it is that you prefer to do or all of the above, that is you expressing yourself. And so let's say you were like that in high school and that's what you wanted to do. Now, acting in a way that's contrary to being your authentic self, that's contrary to expressing yourself and rather suppressing who you really are is, let's say, uh, a teacher of yours in high school, telling you that, mm, you know what, you're probably not going to make it doing that. Um, you should probably just try to do something else. You know, maybe you should just try to work to be a doctor or a lawyer or something, you know, just something you could be six, you can make a lot of money. And you know, it's something safe, like, you know, you just have to commit yourself to that. It's, it's not kind of up to chance. Um, I got that. My wife got that. A lot of people I know growing up got that. It's it's really unfortunate. But that is one of the best examples that I think all of us can relate with, with regards to uh, a big part of our life where we acted in a way that was contrary to our authentic selves. You know, sometimes it's just something that we feel like doing. You know, maybe it's something that you really thought that you liked, uh, you didn't necessarily have a passion for, and somebody said, do this instead. Um, still in that moment, you thought it was what you wanted to do with your life. So even if it wasn't necessarily, that still counts. It's something that you you think that that's what you should do or what you're supposed to do, even if it doesn't end up being that way. The point is in the moment. In that moment, 
did you express yourself honestly or not? So that uh, I just wanted to make sure to be very clear, you know, when we talk about what keeps us from doing that and, and how do we go about working through these issues, what do I mean by expressing myself? I mean these, these very deep things that are a big part of, part of your life that you know to be true or that you believe to be true, uh, not the superficial things, the outward physical appearance uh, uh, type things. So, And then also, what does it mean to express your true nature? And how, did, how is that connected with expressing yourself honestly? Are those the same things? Are those different? When I say express your true nature, uh, that's really a phrase that's a saying that that's used uh, in Zen practice uh, and also certain other Buddhist uh, circles, uh, as well as just uh, you can see it mentioned sometimes in general in certain just Eastern traditions. Uh, although at least in the West, uh, Buddhism is kind of the overarching uh, uh, tradition. Uh, yoga as well too, but a lot of the practitioners of yoga are just for the physical benefit, uh, unfortunately. But there are a lot of authentic yoga practitioners in the West as well. Um, but so your true nature, that really means, uh, true nature specifically, that really is referring to your true state of being the true state in which you exist in each moment. And first of all, are these in conflict conflict with one another? Is this more, I guess you could call it more surface level expressing yourself, you know, doing what you want to do for a living, for instance, which is the example that we went, that we went off of. Is that different from expressing your true nature? Is that in conflict with it? Um, should we not worry about these different preferences and doing the things that we enjoy um, or expressing ourselves artistically, for instance, is that separate? Are these things worthless? Absolutely not. I'm going to go in a little bit later in the talk and show you how expressing your true nature is closely tied in, although on a much deeper level from expressing yourself authentically on a more surface level, such as doing what you want to do for a living. Uh, being the artist versus being the doctor uh, that everybody tells you that you should be. Uh, so those these things are, that side of things definitely is not worthless in any regard. It's a big part of your life. Uh, expressing your true nature is just a deeper level of spiritual practice, but they're all connected. These things are all very, very important. So what keeps us from expressing ourselves, from living honestly? What is it that actually keeps us from doing that? And why aren't we in touch with our original nature, with our true nature? Why aren't we just always in touch with it? Why haven't we been in touch with it from the beginning? What, what exactly happened? Why is it that we have to follow this practice, this mindfulness and this meditation practice to wake up, to wake up to ourselves, to wake up to our true nature? Uh, and also, what's the point of it, too? I want to talk a little bit about that for those that aren't really familiar um, for those maybe that just started a mindfulness or meditation practice or haven't started or just haven't been doing it for very long. Uh, so this really comes down to the things that I discovered from that regret series that I did. And the, the first major factor I'm going to talk about is more of the, uh, what would I call that? More of the, 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 the physical world, surface level sort of, sort of uh, side of things. And the second uh, is where I'm going to talk about expressing your true nature through spiritual practice or through, uh, as they refer to as in, in Zen practice. So 
As far as what keeps us from expressing ourselves and living honestly, I identified essentially one central factor. Throughout all five of those regrets that I went over, it really had to do with, with fear. Okay, so all five regrets, it really came down to people not expressing themselves honestly, not being their authentic selves. You know, when, when somebody said or did something to them, they didn't step up and say or do that thing that they, that they really wanted to do or to say. Uh, you know, they wanted to do something at one point in their lives, and they let what the, the fear of what other people might, might possibly think of them dictate what they did. Or, you know, what somebody said that they should do instead dictate what they do, what they do with their lives. So it's all uh, expressing themselves honestly was all based on some sort of fear. And it was essentially the fear of what others think of you. Uh, or fearing what someone will do. So either just what other people are thinking or an extension of that, fearing what other people will actually do as a result of you doing this, of you taking this particular action, as opposed to what you think that they rather rather you do. So that's the major factor, number one. When we're talking about, when we're talking about you doing what you love, for a living. And I'm going to always come back to this example because I just think it's it's the best example of all. I think it's the most important example of all with regards to that first level of expressing yourself authentically, honestly, uh, which is doing what you would really want to do for a living. And it might not be for a living. Maybe you uh, want to be in the Peace Corps and, uh, I mean, I've never been in the Peace Corps. Maybe, you know, you have, you have some sort of support, obviously. Uh, I don't know if you get paid or how exactly that works. But, uh, you know, the point is you might not necessarily get paid for it. But what it is that you do with the bulk of your life? What is it that you, what kind of work do you commit yourself, do you commit yourself to? Um, that's the major example. Uh, and fearing what others think of us is huge, so fear is absolutely the dominating factor within this this first uh, the, the the first major factor of expressing ourselves honestly of what keeps us from expressing ourselves honestly. Uh, but fearing what others think of us, what others might think of us, because of course we we really have no idea. Uh, but fearing what others think of us is the dominating fear uh, across every instance of expressing ourselves honestly, of being our authentic selves of doing what we want to do whether it's something simple like play a video game or watch a specific tv show or go on a particular website or even say a specific type of word even or it's something to uh, on the further end uh, of following something professionally like being an artist like like being a painter versus uh, being, you know, an architect or something, you know, why don't you use your creative prowess for something where you can actually make some money? You know, somebody might say, it's an example. So uh, throughout that whole spectrum, fearing what, fearing what others think of you is the central issue. That is absolutely the central, central issue. I'm going to go over the second major factor uh, first, and then after that, we're going to go over how we, we really work through these issues, including how we really work through the fear of what others think of us. So the second major factor, which goes to that deeper level of practice, 
uh, of expressing your true nature, of really going back to your true nature. Really, it's about going back to your true nature. This second major factor, really, it has to do with conditioning. Okay, so when I say conditioning, um, a good way that I like to introduce the topic is, and I can't remember where I described it as like this. Uh, I think it might have been in my second book, uh, uh, my second book Zen for Everyday Life. I think, but it's one easy way to to understand it to some degree is like a, a seven layer dip. So. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with those, but uh, they have uh, cheese, uh, stuff like 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 beans and sour cream and salsa and stuff. You know, there's just there's different layers, different types of of things stacked on top of one another, and so there's there's these seven layers to this dip, and so this is to me a very clear visual example of the way that conditioning affects our lives. So there's these very deep-rooted perceptions, these very deep-rooted ideas uh, that are just layered within us. Another ex- another way that I explained it before was that we have a set of colored lenses. Uh, we have this pair of glasses. I don't know if you've ever seen those pair of glasses that uh, they're old school. They had regular glasses, and then they had the sunglasses over them, and they were kind of like like they flipped on the top, so you could flip the sunglasses up so that your your regular glasses would be would be showing, uh, and then when you walk outside, you flip the 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 sunglasses down, and it's that same sort of idea. So you flip the the glasses over, and you have two lenses. Well. In this example, imagine if you had like seven or eight different lenses, one on top of another, each one of these lenses bleeds into the next. So the color you end up seeing on the other end, not only do you not see uh, whatever it is that you're looking at very clearly because you have all these lenses making it very difficult to see exactly what you're looking at, but each one of these lenses bleeds into one another. So what you end up actually seeing is this brown color or whatever it is, as opposed to the bright blue sky. And so in that example, it's this conditioning. It's this, uh, and some examples of that are, in the case of, of, of Buddhist practice, for instance, uh, the Buddha talked about the five skandhas or the five aggregates. And those are various different fa- factors, uh, the various different factors that come together that give us a sense of a separate self. So there are various different factors that come together all at once. You know, with, with one of the skandhas, with one of the aggregates being pulled away, the rest of the whole sort of system would collapse. So consciousness, for instance, is one of the skandhas. Without consciousness, without that ability to, to be conscious of that perception that comes through to our consciousness, everything would fall, would fall away. And so it's this sort of stacking of these, of these things that conditions the way that we experience life. And so when we're talking about expressing our true nature, the reason why we're coming back to our, our true nature is because we have built up this conditioning throughout the course of our lives. So we've developed this idea of good versus bad. We have developed the fear 
of death. So that everything that we do is in a way to where we can either avoid death or try to accomplish as much as we can before we die. A lot of times this fear of death can really just lie unseen. So much of what we do is dictated based off of it, but we just don't, we, we barely even notice that it's there. Uh, other types of fear. So fear, it can be a really big part of this, this conditioning as well. Um, and as I mentioned, the, the five aggregates as well. So there's these, all these different sort of things, these experiences that we went through in our life, these perceptions that we have, these ideas that we have in our mind, and it just creates these layers, layer after layer after layer. And a lot of spiritual practice is really working through these different layers, removing these different lenses. Imagine yourself gradually flipping each one of these lenses up at a time, slowly one by one, so that at, over time, your vision becomes clearer. You start to see with greater and greater and greater clarity. And so when we're talking about really expressing our true nature. This is the, the, the penultimate level of expressing ourselves honestly. This is simply honest expression. It's not expressing ourselves honestly because at this point, we move beyond the I. We move beyond the ego. To We move beyond that sense of a separate self. So this is simply expressing true nature itself which is beyond all of these different perceptions and these different ideas that we have that we have in our mind. And so now waking up is, is the primary effort. You know, in spiritual practice and in Zen practice and whatever tradition uh, you're part of from, from, if any, waking up is always the primary effort. And the reason for that, it's, it's what leads to those qualities of, of great compassion, of true love, of mindfulness, the ability to see deeply uh, uh, and the ability to see deeply to, to be developed. And these are the qualities that can truly change the world. So waking up isn't just about improving your life. These are the same qualities that will transform the world itself. So that deeper level of practice is always the primary effort. Okay, expressing your true nature is always the primary effort. But as I mentioned earlier, and I said I would get into this, it doesn't mean that the surface level of working to express yourself honestly, you know, through through painting as opposed to working to become an architect, which is something you have no passion for, is also very important and can be very liberating in itself. Honestly, whenever we follow those things that we really love to do, that we have a passion for, a lot of times they're either connected with us expressing ourselves artistically, which can be a very spiritual act, or it has to do with us helping and connecting with others, which is also very, very, not just can be very spiritual, but but can really be the best thing that we can do in our lives for ourselves and for all others, for all other, you know, in, in Buddhism, it would, it would be referred to as sentient beings, all other sentient beings, not just people, but, but all other beings and animals and everything included down, down the line. And also, by the way, uh, it's not a set of steps. So this first and second level that we've been talking about, it's not step one and then step two. So it's not, you know, you deal with the surface level first and then you go into the deeper level of spiritual practice. You don't have to overcome this fear uh, 
you know, of, of what others think of you, for instance, before beginning your meditation practice or before really getting serious about it. These things happen at the same time. Some people that think, you know, if you meditate that you're never supposed to get angry or be fearful or something, you know, that if you're meditating, you're just like this, this superhuman or, 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 the, or immediately you just become this Buddha, even if you've been meditating for years. But that's not how it is. You can better manage fear and anger and the various challenges you encounter, but you're working through them gradually. It's not an overnight thing. It takes a lot of work, a lot of time and effort. Most of us have conditioning, which is what we just talked about. These deep-seated issues that will take years to work through. So this is perfectly normal. So you're doing these things simultaneously. You know, we're all these, these imperfect beings just working on waking up to not only express ourselves honestly in, in a more outward physical way, but also to come back to, to realize our, our true nature. We're all just working on this, this process at the same time that we're working through overcoming these fears of what others think of us, which is something I still feel from time to time. You know, it's something that I've worked on quite a bit. Uh, I had a real heavy problem with this whenever I was in, in high school, especially. Um, I went so far as to even take, I mean, I take a half hour just to, to sit there and look at my clothes forever, just worrying about like just trying to put on the thing that would make me look the coolest or what I thought would make me look the coolest. Uh, and just really, really, really there and after for the rest of the day, worrying about my appearance and what other people, uh, just worrying about what other people thought of me. Um, and so I've come a long, long way since then, but it's, it's a long-term thing. You continue to work on it. You know, every once in a while I notice just that little voice in my head, um, you know, just say something and you just, you note it, you note it mindfully. You see that I see that you're there. I know that you're there. And I, over time the, the it's, it starts to lose its strength. It starts to, to, to lose its power its power over you. So it's a gradual thing. These two things are happening at the same time. You're working to overcome these fears of what other people think of you or other different fears, fear of failure and different different fears that we commonly experience. The fear of death goes to kind of a deeper level, um, uh, but is still sort of sort of on that, that surface of how we how we live our lives. And then when you go beyond that, uh, it's it's the same it's the same effort in your life. When you sit down and you meditate and you work on uh, just working through and uncovering this conditioning and, and lifting these lenses and, and unveiling, you know, the true, uh, the true way of seeing things, just really realizing your true nature and lifting these, these lens, the lens by lens uh, of these, these, these colored glasses. So it's the same effort the these things happen at the same time um and it's not step one and step two the main thing i want to express is that these aren't separate stages that you don't do one and then do the other as you sit and meditate these fears of what others think of you will arise and you'll begin to notice them and note them you acknowledge them and you accept them fully and so it's all a part of of the same the same process and with regards to expressing yourself honestly let's say you know, professionally or just with you, with what you decide to do with the greater bulk of your life, um, 
compared to expressing your true nature, those two things also aren't necessarily different things. The way that you live each individual moment of your life, you have an opportunity to express your true nature. And so when we talk about uh, living authentically and expressing ourselves honestly, we're usually talking about larger things like what you do for a living, like whether you went and did that thing versus not doing that thing, whether you went and wore that thing or acted in that way or said that thing versus not doing it. Um, and so sometimes these are specific individual acts, but a lot of times they're larger things, uh, especially in the case of doing what you want for a living, what you have a passion for, a love versus just what you think will be safe or what other people want you to do. And when we're talking about expressing your true nature, that's a moment to moment thing. In each individual moment, are you acting in a way to where this conditioning, this fear, uh, this, the, these wrong perceptions and this this false sense of a, the separate self or the lack of realization of your interbeing with all things, uh, are these things getting in the way from you acting, from you expressing yourself honestly in that individual moment? Moment-to-moment practice is really when it, when we, what we're talking about when we say expressing, expressing your true nature. So these two things have a lot of, of overlap. To finish up, let's talk, I've, covered a few little things here and there. Um, But let's really get into how we actually work through these various factors. So taking everything together and understanding clearly now how expressing ourselves honestly has to do with not just an outward, you know, physical action um, sort of sense, you know, speech and actions sort of sense. Um, But it also has to do with a deeper level of moment to moment, whether or not uh, this conditioning that we have is holding us back from expressing ourselves honestly, Uh, knowing how these two things intersect. When we talk about that, mindfulness practice works as the foundation to working through both of these things. Uh, Mindfulness is absolutely the, the key factor in talking about both levels. And so when we're talking about expressing ourselves honestly with regards to, you know, our, our speech and our actions, the, the sort of outward first level that we've been, we've been talking about, when you think of mindfulness practice, what mindfulness practice allows us to do is it allows us to notice the fear as it arises. When we're mindful and we note this fear and then we notice that it comes up again and again, And again, and then we notice what happens as a result of it. We feel bad. We feel restrained. We feel like we're not being ourselves. We notice the various different things that arise as a result of acting based on this fear or not, rather not acting uh, or not acting honestly, authentically based on this fear. Then this compounds. And simply noticing this fear arise, of course, we don't like this fear. We don't want it to be there. We don't want to act in a way that we aren't authentic, that we aren't ourselves. And so as it continues to arise, it becomes this, there's this self-healing process that exists in mindfulness practice. There's different ways that you can go about working through an issue in mindfulness practice. But a lot of times, all that needs to be done is for you to notice it. 
for it to for you to notice it enough times for it to rise to the surface so that you can observe it clearly when it becomes absolutely clear when you see this fear and you acknowledge it and you see this is that fear and you know what it is and you don't have to delve in and investigate it there's certain practices that call for that and you can do that that's a viable practice uh, but you can do that or not do that. that's not a requirement you simply need to be aware you then acknowledge that it's arisen and you accept it fully whatever it is that comes if it's that fear of what others think of you what if i what if i do this you know my other friends are are going to a new university and they're doing this and that and and i want to be a painter uh you know what's going to happen as a result of that what are they going to think of me as you notice it more and more their mindfulness ability our in, innate wisdom our innate ability we just have this this great ability to work through these issues or for these issues to work through themselves uh, and that's what i mean by that sort of uh internal healing ability that we gain through mindfulness practice so simply becoming aware of this fear is very very powerful it doesn't necessarily always allow us to work to to overcome it completely uh but it really reduces the power of that particular fear uh because simply bringing it to the surface and making it clearer uh just it, it sort of takes the blinders off of it we know when it arises we can begin to to get to a point where we notice as it's arising not just afterwards but we notice when we're in a situation where it's about to arise or when it's just begun to arise and that's very powerful so mindfulness is the foundation of expressing ourselves honestly in each and every moment so now this is an effort that is easier said than done to really be mindful in every moment to be mindful for 24 hours in a day for instance uh is is a monumental effort but the point isn't to be mindful for 24 hours in a day the point is to give your best effort to be mindful in every moment and whatever that ends up being in each moment as long as you're giving your best effort that's what matters that is enough and as you continue to be mindful as you continue to work on that your practice will improve as long as you're making your best effort as long as you're making your way as long as you're making your best effort in your practice you'll make your way and so mindfulness is definitely the first point it's the most important part because it's the foundation of the entire path when we're talking about expressing your true nature and working through this conditioning it's mindfulness that allows us to begin to unearth this various these various conditions uh that we live our lives based upon it also allows us to really begin to notice how this sense of a separate self this this i arises and so it really b- brings us to the heart heart of things to to the heart of the issue all the way from the outer reaches to noticing when fear arises in a very basic uh uh typical sense in our everyday lives all the way down to that sense of a separate self uh which is which is talked about in a lot of spiritual traditions particularly eastern traditions uh but not exclusively eastern traditions if you look into it uh there's a lot of very noticeable no, notable uh western uh, sort of mystics that uh talk about things that are that are either very much in line or exactly in line 
uh, with Eastern traditions, uh, Eastern wisdom rather, especially Buddhist Buddhist wisdom. So, uh, mindfulness is definitely the foundation. That's definitely the number one thing to work on with regards to expressing yourself honestly at every stage of life, of every stage of living each moment as your authentic, honest self fully. Now, number two, with mindfulness practice, as we continue to practice, it gives us the ability to begin to uncover what uh, is sometimes called the inner dialogue. The inner dialogue, the best way to sort of visualize it is like an old, uh, an old vinyl. And it's, so it's, it's put onto the record player, an old record. It's put onto the record player, and it's, it's going by. And the, that song will continue to play itself if you don't stop. Or that if it's a, an entire album, that album will continue to, to replay itself over and over and over unless you take the little pin, the little needle, off of the record. And so in the very same way, this inner dialogue is a set of, of things that we tell ourselves that is just on constant loop. It's just on this constant loop. And more often than not, in almost every case, it's something negative. Something along the lines of, you're not good enough. You know, you're not good enough is sort of the overarching theme of all the various different things that we tell ourselves. It's always an issue of self-worth. And so uh, that really brings me to the, that's, that's the, the most clear way that you can see how that surface level of, of fear connects to the deeper level of spiritual practice. So when we talk about self-worth, we're talking about the I, this sense of a separate self bringing us down. Issues of self-worth only arise because of an attachment to the self, the I, the, separate, the, the sense of a separate, unconnected, unconnected self. Unconnected as in you're not aware of the interbeing nature of all things. You're not aware of the fact that not only people, but all things are connected in this, this infinite, just count these countless different ways that we just don't notice in our, in our day-to-day lives. In so many countless different ways that we literally are interbeing in every moment. We're not living as these separate entities that just sort of interact with one another every once in a while. We are literally inter, interbeing. Um, the example that Thich Nhat Hanh gives a lot of times is is the flower, the flower which is made up of of the sun, the water, the chlorophyll, the various different factors that if even one were taken away, the flower could not exist. The flower would would literally cease to exist as a flower. And so in that same way we all exist. On a very surface way you can see that in your life and also on a very deep uh, a deeper level like the flower. So when I say the sense of a separate separate self, um, I want to make sure to be very clear for those that aren't really familiar. It's not that we aren't a separate body and brain which acts on its own, but it's the idea that our fundamental nature is of this separate being which interacts with other separate entities. Okay, So it's the interbeing nature that I talked about uh, it's it's the interbeing nature that I talked about, as opposed to being this separate separate body, 
uh, or, or rather as, as opposed to being this totally separate entity. Okay. So don't think that it means that, that, oh, it's, you know, it, the, your body and your brain is an illusion or something. That's not, that's not it at all. We clearly see that we have this separate body and this brain. Um, but it's just simply because there is no like cord attached, for instance, from our bodies to the earth doesn't mean that there isn't this inseparable connection. This connection is very much there, but it's unseen. If you look closely, though, you can see it. And so, again, we're talking about these issues of self-worth, these issues of self-worth arising from this sense of a separate self. So you see how we're going deeper and deeper. We started with uncovering the inner dialogue, okay? So you're not good enough. Uh, you're not good enough. You'll never do that. You'll never accomplish that. You're not good enough to do that, or you're not worthy, or they're better than you. This inner dialogue, these things that, these, these, these things that you loop uh, that are on constant loop in your mind uh, is based on on fear, and it arises from a lack of of self worth, and that lack of self worth comes from that sense of a separate self. When we have that sense of a separate self, you know we're disconnected from our true nature. We're living in a state that is unnatural. We're living in a state which is not our true nature. And so when there is that sort of void, we have this sort of, this feeling of a void. We are constantly striving to feel connected. We don't know it, but we're constantly striving to come back in touch with our true nature, but we don't know how to do it. And so many different people do it, do this or try to do this in many different ways. And some are successful. There's various different types of spiritual practice that are, that are viable means of doing that. But most of us try to do this uh, in a way that will never be successful. Uh, and we don't realize that it's this very underlying assumption that we live each and every day of our lives with, which is the major issue, why we can't come back to that place of feeling whole, of feeling uh, really like ourselves. And so, uh, when I talk about this sense of a separate of a separate self, we're talking about actually working through these factors, working through this sense of a separate self, and coming to this place of uh, realizing this this interbeing uh, nature. In some ways, it's a lack of awareness, uh, a lack of awareness or insight of interbeing, rather than a, a wrong idea. So I don't want you to think so much that it is. Uh, that it's that you have this idea that there's a separate I because clearly you have this separate body and this separate brain, but it's when you don't realize the ways in which we inter are, the, the, that interbeing nature. It's that you don't realize the real quality, what the real quality of mind is. What really is a thought? What really is perception itself? And how does that tie in with, with our senses? So I wanted to make sure to, to be very clear on that and not, uh, uh, not get too confusing with the sense of a separate self. Uh, a lot of times that's not explained correctly and people kind of, you know, clearly, I was the exact same way, I misunderstood this before, that they think that 
it's like this mystical idea that you don't have this body, this separate body. And that's absolutely not what it is. It's more pointing to the fact that, sure, you have this separate body, or there is this separate body, rather, is the, the more correct way to say it, but that the you, the bigger you, is beyond this separate body. And not, again, not in this sort of sort of mystical sense, but in the sense that there is this basic ground of being between all of us and that we are interbeing in each moment uh, something of something of a large organism. Uh, not so much as one thing, though. More as just all of the same fabric. All of the same substance. And that we can, we can realize a sense of connectedness, that true connectedness that we have through working working with our, our spiritual practice and so it comes down this this issues uh, the, these issues of expressing ourselves honestly both in a surface way and in a very deep way to expressing our true nature it all comes down to the depths of of these these issues that we work through uh in our practice and with regards to actually beginning to work through this an interesting exercise that you can use to enhance your practice, a way that you can begin to do this to really come closer to your true nature, to really begin to to realize this state, is you can sort of create a environment which can erode this this ego. Which which you can call the the fortress of I. We we, you know, we sort of build up this fortress uh, of of self within us that has to be broken down. Uh, recently, I talked, and I'll, I'll put the a link in the, in the in the show notes. But recently, I talked about my experience with uh, my sort of broken up shoes, and uh, I just kind of like as a little joke, I called them the the shoes of freedom, my shoes of freedom. Uh, and I explained an exercise, which was very much a sort of sanding away, and I think I actually explained it like this in the article, a sort of sanding away at the ego itself. So what it was is I was wearing these shoes, these beaten up old, torn up shoes, and they literally I had holes in them everywhere. And after a while, because of my mindfulness practice, I began to realize that I would go to put them on. And I would worry about what other people were going to think about me while I was wearing them. And so instead of just not wearing them anymore, which most people would do, I realized, you know what, this would be beneficial for my practice. This would, this would actually help me if I continued to wear them. And I paid attention to the thoughts and the feelings that arose. So I'm not going to go into detail on that. You can read the post, which again, I'll link to in the show notes. But uh point was this was an, an exercise that allowed me to begin sort of sanding away at that fortress of I. It allowed me to begin sanding away at that. And what happened after a while was after I noticed all these various different uncomfortable feelings and thoughts that arose was I felt this little feeling of, of liberation. It was just this gradually liberating experience. It's just a little thing just a little exercise, but there's all these different little things that you can do. Again, I'm not saying, or rather, I'm not saying go around and, and wear shoes with, with holes in them necessarily. I mean, you you have you might you'll have your own different ways of being able to to do this to express this. But the point is to 
to create a sort of environment that allows for you to re not only realize the sense of interbeing, but also to sort of sand away at that fortress of I. Um, in old uh, Zen training, the, the old Zen training in, in, in monasteries in Japan, uh, masters would place students in a position where essentially their ego, again, that fortress of I, is gradually eroded. It would be an entire environment, essentially, where that was coaxed, where that was coaxed out. The entire environment was built around just eroding that sense of a separate self. But it's the same sort of idea. It's taking that sort of idea that they used in the monasteries and creating your own little exercises just like the shoe exercise that I did uh, to sort of sand away at that, that feeling of an ego. You can do the opposite where you... Uh, do exercise where you do meditation exercises like like looking deeply or seeing deeply. Uh, I've talked about that before. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about that as well, where you really look closely into something and like the flower that I explained earlier, you see or you think about the various different factors that uh, were required to make that flower or to make that piece of fruit or whatever it is come to be as it is in that moment. So that's sort of the reverse side of things. Both are very beautiful, very effective, very worthwhile practices, which will work to help you come to a place where you're not only willing to express or able to express yourself honestly uh, in a deeper spiritual sense, but this directly connects, uh, and the, the shoe example is perfect, directly connects with your willingness to express yourself honestly in your speech and in your actions, in your everyday life, because you're directly dealing with with what people think of you. Maybe there's something that you have in your wardrobe that you kind of like, but you think that uh, people, maybe like it looks a little bit funky to you. Maybe that you think people might think you're a little bit funny for wearing it. Um, and I, my challenge, I guess, would be to go out and wear it. Even if you think it looks a little bit funky. If you like it, go out and wear it and, and just pay attention to the feelings that, that arise to the ideas or the thoughts that arise as you're wearing that. There's different ways that you can do this practice, uh, but it's all the same idea. And it's very, very effective. So I challenge you to go out and try that out in your own way, however you feel that would work for you, and see how that begins to help you express yourself honestly. To see how that begins to help you unearth or come closer to your true nature. I hope you enjoyed this first podcast episode of the Zen for Everyday Life Brahmonia podcast. Whether you're listening to this on the blog or on iTunes, uh, let me know what you think. Rate it. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a comment on the blog. If you're listening to this on iTunes, if you'd like to check out more from me, uh, aside from the podcast, if you'd like to read the blog or check out any of the, the free guides and the books that I have, then you can go to uh, buddhaimonia.com. That's B-U-D-D-H-A-I-M-O-N-I-A.com. And uh, I appreciate you listening, and I hope that you were able to take something from this first episode, and I will see you next time.